The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in Miami, and here is your top five at five. A strong end to a strong week. Stocks looking to make even more gains today after the S&P notches its 30th record close of the year and small caps soar. Among reasons for optimism, the president announcing he has reached an infrastructure deal with a bipartisan group of senators. Nike shares soaring this morning. The Dow component does something to make investors very happy. But shipping all those shoes may cost you more ahead. FedEx forced to increase spending to help improve delivery delays. And this could be a little trouble for Tesla. While one driver claims the electric automaker broke, it's Supercharger Promise. It is Friday, June 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Good Friday morning. Thanks for joining us. Here's how your money in the global markets are setting up the last day to end their trading week. They are setting it up in a strong way. It's been a strong week overall coming off that quadruple witching last Friday. All those equity and index options expiring, which had the markets gyrating wildly last Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. All that put back to bed on Monday. Maybe a little more than that than the Fed, even though the Fed got all the attention. Stock futures, they are higher right now. Dow futures up 89. NASDAQ up 16. You got record closes yesterday for the S&P 500. NASDAQ. NASDAQ 100, technology, and healthcare sectors. The S&P on track for its best week since early April. 10 out of the 11 S&P sectors are higher this week, led by, you guessed it, energy, another big week there, up more than 6% over the last four days. Year-to-date, the energy sector up more than 45%, and as we noted, it is the best start to a year ever. For oil and gas stocks going all the way back to that sector's inception in 1989. Technology also a big winner this week. The Nasdaq Composite setting its record 17th close of the year. The Nasdaq 100 hitting its 20th record close of 2021. The most positive impact on the Nasdaq 100 yesterday was Tesla, followed by Microsoft. Tesla, by the way, having a banner week, up about 9% since Monday on pace for its best week since mid-April. In the meantime, Microsoft closing yesterday with a market cap above $2 trillion. Welcome to the $2 trillion club, Microsoft. It's just you and Apple in the United States. Now, stocks having a good week. Crypto, eh, not so much. And crypto down right now. Ether down another 4% to 1931. Bitcoin down nearly 2% to 34,220. It has been a rough few weeks for crypto investors. All right, let's get to some of this morning's top headlines, including more on that big infrastructure deal struck in Washington. Christina Partsanevelos is here now with those key headlines 
Good Friday morning, Christina. Good morning, Brian. So President Biden appearing outside the White House yesterday with a bipartisan group of senators announcing they've reached an infrastructure deal. The framework will include $579 billion in new spending for transportation, road projects, power, broadband and water. The group has suggested multiple ways to pay for the plan, but these don't include raising the gas tax or increasing the corporate tax rate. We'll have more from Elon Mui in Washington a little bit later this hour. And Toshiba's chairman is out, removed by a vote at the company's annual meeting. He had faced criticism from activists who had said Toshiba's management was working with the government to suppress foreign investors. And Chinese ride-sharing giant Didi is looking for a $60 billion valuation in its upcoming IPO. The company filing an updated prospectus with the SEC saying it plans to list the equivalent of 72 million shares of Class A common stock on the New York Stock Exchange, anywhere between $13 and $14 apiece. So, Brian, this is shaping up to be possibly the biggest IPO this year. It is certainly a big one in the market. Keenly watching how that goes off. Didi in focus. Christina, we'll see you in a few minutes. Thank, Thank you very you. much. All right, now let's get back to the markets and your money. And your first guest today says that history shows there are likely more gains ahead for stock, including big cap tech. But it could be a flat or even bumpy couple of months ahead of that. Joining us now is Zor Capital Managing Director Joe Fami. Joe, great to have you back on. You've been long. You've been strong. You've been right about this market. For the last couple of years here, you wrote a great piece I read. You compared it all the way back to 1995, home of the mullet, 2003 and 2009, I would say. What are the comparisons between those three years and the way that the markets are setting up right now? And uh, after a strong year in uh, technology, it's perfectly normal to digest and correct those gains And coming out of these corrections, it's common to see another leg up in the market. And the three historical precedents are 1995, 2003, and 2009. These are all three years where the NASDAQ composite was up between 40 to 50%. Following those large gains, the market corrected approximately four to eight months. And then coming out of these corrections, we saw further uh, gains and another leg up. And the analogy to today's market is 2020, the NASDAQ was up a little over 43%. Growth has been in a correction since early February, so about four or five months into this correction. And now coming out of this correction, I feel that we're setting up for another significant leg higher. Is it going to be powered by something in particular or just this combination of a lot of cash, a lot of investor interest, fewer stocks. We talk about buybacks. This is probably going to be the biggest year for corporate buybacks in the history of modern humanity. Or, or is it low rates or D, all the above, Joe? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. For sure, the Federal Reserve and all the global central banks are providing an equity-friendly environment. Interest rates are going to stay low, so that's part of it. Uh, I also think the technicals are improving where all the major indices are above their key moving averages, showing institutional support that the large institutions continue to support this market. And then fundamentally, uh, things continue to improve with there's a lot of growth in earnings and sales, profit margin expansion. And there's so many sectors participating. To me, the sign of a healthy market is when you have broad based participation. So specifically within tech, you're seeing software coming back, mega cap tech, a lot of the fangs coming back semiconductors continuing to benefit from the chip shortage. 
uh, and medical products as well with a lot of uh, newer innovation, uh, innovative technologies coming up. Yeah, our morning RBI is going to highlight the six stocks that have more than doubled in technology over the last year. I'll save that. It's called the tease in television, Joe. You know what's interesting to me, and maybe it has nothing to do with one or the other, but it felt like, Joe, when crypto was really hot, when everybody was talking about it, Bitcoin 60,000, Ethereum 4,000, tech stocks got weak. Now crypto's been weak and tech stocks have got hot again. Maybe it's just non-correlative a total fluke. But when you look at the charts, it feels like there's a bit of a, a bouncing around between the two groups of certain investors. I don't know. Any thought on that at all? Or maybe it's just Friday insanity on my part. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I don't know if there's enough data to correlate um, you know, crypto to the market. Some people have tried to make those correlations. But for me, I don't know if there's enough data. I think it's more of just the market is driven mainly by two things, earnings and interest rates. And that's more what I'm focused on and with this low interest rate environment. Are you happy with uh, both, Joe? Yes, I am happy with both. The Fed's not uh, raising rates as they indicated in last week's meeting until 2023. Even if they taper uh, later this year, early 2022, it's still uh, an equity friendly environment. So the interest rate picture is strong and the earnings continue to improve. So that's mainly what I'm focused on. And I think that's what's going to drive this next leg higher, specifically in growth. And that leg higher, you believe when you say growth, you think it is going to be big cap tech that once again continues to lead us, Joe? Yeah, and, and the market uh, tends to move in advance ahead of uh, events. So maybe we still have to get through the end of this quarter, some portfolio rebalancing and so forth that's normal at the end of quarters. But then now we can shift from a lot of the interest rate and political talk to fundamental talk, uh, looking in advance to the next set of quarterly earnings. So we could see this move start to happen in early to mid-July in anticipation of the next set of quarterly earnings. If anything unforeseen happened and maybe we corrected or went sideways during the summer, then I could see it happening by the fall. But again, in the next few months, the next like higher technology looks to be led by a lot of those mega cap names. Oh, you just made a lot of triple Q investors happy. Joe Fami writing an article on Yahoo Finance. Joe, we appreciate your views. Long and strong and been right. Joe, we'll talk to you again soon, my friend. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Brian. All right, you're very welcome. All right, when we come back, just did it. Why Nike shares are soaring this morning. Look at that. The Dow component up nearly 12%. That's good news for the Dow. We'll tell you exactly what happened to make those numbers possible. Dow futures, they're up as well. Lots to do left here on Worldwide Exchange. We're back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. 
Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. Time now for your big money movers. A normally lower loyal viewer, you know that we do three big stock stories of today, but not today. We're just going to give you one. But don't worry, we're not getting cheap. It's a biggie. It's Nike. Shares are surging. Fourth quarter results easily beating forecast sales nearly doubled. Here in North America, sales more than doubled. And top analyst estimates by $1 billion. That's how much they topped estimates by. Nike also projecting full year sales well ahead of estimates. Let's talk more now about all of this, the results, the stock, etc. With Jessica Ramirez, retail research analyst at Jane Hall and Associates. Jessica, the stock is up nearly 12%. I mean, there were a lot of bulls on Nike coming into the quarterly results. I'm not sure anybody was this bullish. What exactly happened last quarter for Nike? I mean, they have an excellent playbook. And I think anything that Nike does, it's just extremely consumer centric, which as usually when we speak about brands, it's key to them being a winner. Um, And they really are another data driven business. And I think that's another key component of the success to their business. They just focus really on what the consumer needs. They use that data behind the mobile app, behind their digital business and follow what needs to be localized as far as product or as far as experience in a store. And even during the pandemic, obviously, we saw how ahead of the game they were um, already. And so they've only gotten stronger during this time. Feels like everybody's been wearing the same stuff for about a year and a half, at least in the states that were locked down, Jessica, which is a lot of the Northeast and where a lot of the consumers and the money tends to be. How much of this is just kind of a coming out of the lockdowns type thing versus maybe a sea change, new products, a Nike specific situation? Is it is it possible to quantify what this is exactly? Well, the, the excellent part, I think there's like different parts to that question. The excellent part about Nike is they are huge on newness. Anytime you go onto that website, anytime you go into that store, there is new product. There's a new excitement around a new category. Women's always looks excellent. There's a new line. There's new colors. Again, new collaboration. So there's, there's so much around that that there's extreme hype constantly. And I think the consumer gets excited about that and can shop that. During lockdown, I think it's where we've seen the brand really respond to what the consumer needs or what they're interested in. So we saw a lot of golf come back. And they immediately had it on their website. We saw a lot of the trail running, and that continues to be um, a category of interest to the consumer as even as we we ease on lockdown restrictions. And they have so much of that. We started talking all about the Gorp Core trend last year, really because the consumer was spending out so much time outside. And it's sort of a hybrid when you speak to streetwear, which Nike had already been doing. And again, we see so much of that on the website already. So again, they respond so quickly to what the consumer needs that it, it's, and I think they even said it yeah. on the call yesterday, you know, they want to expand the market and they really are by tapping into so many of those categories and making them very exciting and cool again to the consumer. Do you think it's a one quarter wonder, Jessica, or can they continue this torrid pace? You know, I think every time you just get shocked by it, how well they do every time. And, and even when, you might have a concern or two when you go back in and you start looking at everything they've done in a quarter or again, simply just walking into a store, there is excitement about that. And I think that's the reminder or the beauty of what Nike does and a brand should be doing is create excitement for the consumer. Because I think as analysts, you know, we try and and separate, you know, what's going on behind the business and how they're driving a business. 
But at the end of the day, also, if you are consumer centric and you're following what that person wants, you really are going to take a home run or, you know, a goal or whatever in Nike's terms, which clearly they are doing. And look at that stock. Wow, Jessica. Nike is up nearly 12% in the pre-market as well. Going to help Nike investors, going to help the Dow in general. Jessica Ramirez, Jane Holly and Associates. Jessica, pleasure to have you back on on a big day for the swoosh. And that, it's yeah. looking like a swoosh, <laughs> down and up to the right. <laughs> Jessica, thank you very much. Awesome. Yeah, <laughs> have a great, great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right, take care. All right. All right, thank you. All right, coming up, we will see you, all of you out there, on the Lido deck, a cruise ship about to set sail from an American port with paid passengers for the first time since COVID. We'll take you there and show you the scene on Worldwide Exchange. Comes right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Well, welcome back, and welcome back to the high seas, because Saturday, Royal Caribbean's Celebrity Edge will become the first cruise with paying passengers to set sail from an American port in more than 15 months. The voyage marks the return of the $150 billion American cruise industry, something our travel correspondent Seema Modi is watching very closely, and she got a firsthand look at what is in store. Brian, the Celebrity Edge is the first ship to set sail from a U.S. port with paid passengers in 15 months. This is a historic moment for the embattled cruise industry. It follows months of infighting between the CDC, Washington, and cruise lines. Captain Kate McHugh, who has been on this ship for over a year, says her crew are ready to get back to sea. This is something that we have been waiting and hoping for since March 15, 2020. Um, we, we weren't sure when it would happen, but every single crew member is anticipating the moment when our first guest steps on our gangway. And to be, say we're excited is an understatement. We're thrilled. This ship will run at 36% capacity to allow for social distancing. Here in the theater, signage around the room to ensure passengers can spread out. Other safety protocols include enhanced cleaning, more hand-washing stations, and the buffet no longer self-serve. Now, nearly all crew and passengers are vaccinated, and for those who are not, they will be subject to more restrictions and testing. These stocks, the cruise lines, they have rallied off of the lows hit back in March of 2020. Investors will be on the lookout to see how these summer sailings go, whether passengers test positive, and how quickly these ships can add more passengers on board. Brian? All right, Seema Modi on the Celebrity Hedge, and we're going to hear more when Royal Caribbean CEO joins Seema at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time today, a big day for the cruise industry. All right, we've got a lot more to do, and let's get a check right now on this morning's other top headlines, including 
more of that horrific building collapse in Miami that our Shepard Smith has been covering from down there. You've got nearly 100 people still unaccounted for. Philip Mena, New York, with more on that. Philip, it is a, just an absolutely devastating scene down there in Miami. Yeah, it's horrific to see the pile of rubble that are still uh, working on survivors there. Brian, good morning to you. President Biden has approved an emergency disaster declaration in Florida after that devastating high-rise collapse near Miami. As we mentioned, emergency crews, they are digging around the clock in Surfside. They are frantically searching for survivors in the rubble. At least one person was killed and 99 are still unaccounted for. Rescuers say they can hear banging sounds from beneath the debris. Vice President Kamala Harris is heading to the southern border today. Her trip to El Paso comes nearly three months after President Biden tasked her with stemming the flow of migrants across the border. She's faced growing criticism from Republicans for not visiting the region. And former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin will be sentenced for the murder of George Floyd today. On April 20th, Chauvin was found guilty of second-degree unintentional murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. Under Minnesota statutes, Chauvin will only be sentenced under the most serious charge because all counts stem from one act and one victim. The maximum sentence would be 40 years, although the prosecution has asked for 30 years and the defense has asked for probation with time served. Today's hearing is scheduled to begin at 1.30 Central Time. That's it from here, Brian. We'll send it back to you. All right, Philip Mena, Philip, and of course we're going to be getting more from Miami on that building collapse with Shepard Smith, who was down there all day long here on CBC. Philip, thank you. All right, up next, we're going to head to Washington for the details on that infrastructure deal that everybody is talking about. A live look at the Capitol building as the sun rises. By the way, the infrastructure ETF, there are many, but the one that we're watching is the ticker symbol PAVE, gaining 1.5% yesterday, up again a little bit this morning. That is the fourth straight positive day up all week. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and all the major podcasting platforms. Dow futures up 87, and our exclusive insider buying segment is ahead with the single biggest insider buy of a stock that we have ever seen in the year we've been doing this. That name ahead. A lot more to do. We're back right after this. We have a deal. The president and a group of bipartisan senators striking a deal for roads and bridges We'll head to D.C. talk about it and also hit stocks like most likely to benefit. 115 degrees in Spokane, about 110 in Oregon. It could happen this weekend as the West braces for what could be an historic and dangerous heat wave. And follow the money, our exclusive insider buying segment up in moments, including the single biggest insider buy that we have ever seen by about $30 million. It is Friday, June 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back and good Friday morning, everybody. It's just about 530 in the East Coast. I'm Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. And here's how your money in the markets are looking as we are about halfway through the 5 a.m. hour and they are looking good. But it's good with an asterisk or maybe good with a swoosh. Dow futures are up 91 points. But as our morning market guru and friend Peter Schacknow just helpfully told me, Nike, which is up 12% of the pre-market, is about 100 points of the Dow futures. 
hmm, carry the one, subtract nine. So what that tells us is that Dow futures up 91, Nike's up 100. Basically, it'd be responsible for 100 points of the Dow. So Nike is effectively all, if not more than all, of the Dow futures. Either way, it's a lot of math in the morning. You don't care. Stocks are in the green. Nike is soaring, but still, it could be the Nike show. Well, overall, though, it has been a big week for stocks coming off that quadruple witching related chaos or volatility, if you want, last, to end last week. And of course, I know everybody talked about the Fed and that's, you know, I'm not you know, going to fight with anybody at the morning, but it was, it was more quadruple witching than the Fed. But don't tell anybody. Anyway, here's a big week so far for stocks coming into today. The S&P 500 up two and a half percent, the Dow up a little more than that. But you go, small caps. The Russell 2000 kind of quietly is up 4.3% this week. I mean, think about that. In one week, all these markets have come roaring back after that quadruple witching related volatility to end last week. All right, time now for your weekly insider buying exclusive. We lay out the company seeing the biggest buys by C-suite executives. It is seen, of course, as a big measure in a confidence of a company if you get buying by insiders. And as always, our thanks to insiderscore.com for the data. And we count you down five to one. You ready? We are. Here we go. Fifth most insider buying this week, Inviva Partners. You got to buy a 489000 there by a board member. The fourth most, Sage Therapeutics. Insider buying by the chairman, buying $999,000 on weakness. One of his first insider buys, by the way, also noted Sage, the CEO, also recently bought. Number three, restaurant brands QSR, a $1 million insider buy of the parent company of Burger King and Popeyes by the son of an insider who is also the son of the founder of 3G Capital, which bought the company. And now the numbers get really big. The second most insider buying last week, Continental Resources. Our friend Harold Hamm, buying $12.5 million worth of his own oil and gas company, he's been buying on big-time strength. That stock already up 150% in 12 months. Keep in mind, you've heard the name before. Mr. Hamm bought nearly $10 million worth back in September. Now, a $12.5 million buy would normally top our list by far, but not this week. This week is the biggest insider buy we've ever reported on, and it is... Asana, and co-founder and CEO Dustin Moskowitz, adding $42.3 million to his holdings. Moskowitz has been a buyer of late. This way accelerates that. Moskowitz's name probably rings true because he's also the co-founder of Facebook. Dustin Moskowitz with a $42 million insider buy of software company Asana. So there's your top five. And Viva Sage, Restaurant Brands International, I like the ticker, RBI, Continental Resources, and Asana, ASAN. Keep in mind, those stocks have been outperforming the overall market. We're keeping our eye on you, Asana, this morning. All right, now to some of this morning's top corporate headlines. Let's get back now with Christina Parts and Evelos and those. What do you got for us, Christina? 
I've got FedEx, right? FedEx shares are under pressure this morning. The company posting better than expected earnings and revenues, but its forecast falls below Wall Street consensus. So the company says it will increase capital spending by 22 percent this year as it tries to deal with shipping delays caused by a surge in e-commerce, which is why we're seeing it down uh, 4 percent. Google and Amazon facing pressure in the U.K. Britain's competition regulator is launching a formal probe into the two tech giants over allegations They haven't done enough to tackle fake reviews. I'm a sucker for those. Tesla is being sued in in a California state court over fees at supercharger stations. A driver is arguing the company broke his promise to provide free charging for life when it imposed a fee on customers who leave a vehicle at a station for too long. Meantime, in a separate story involving Elon Musk's company, Panasonic says it sold its stake in Tesla for about $3.6 billion in the year ended March. The Japanese conglomerate is looking to reduce its reliance on Tesla and may use the cash for investing in growth. Panasonic makes batteries for Tesla. And a Panasonic spokesperson says the stock sale will not change that relationship. But this is a relationship, Brian, that's been going on since 2010 when Panasonic acquired shares of Tesla. Tesla, it's quite, uh, I guess it's a, quite a shift. And they bought those shares at a, eh, $21.15 each back in 2010. $21.15. So yep. my math tells me they've killed it. They just crushed it. They just made a ton of money. I mean, they, what, they banked coin, whatever sort of saying you want. They made a lot of money, Christina. Yeah, but however, they did say that the stake was reduced to zero by the end of this past March, according to a filing on Friday, too, so... Well, selling into strength. Maybe not the strength it's had lately, but still a big number. Christina Partsonevelos, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, now let's get back to the infrastructure story and the big deal that was passed in D.C. Alon Moy joining us now with the details of the deal that the president announced yesterday. Alon, maybe not all that many on the far left wanted about everything else being infrastructure, but as far as actual infrastructure, roads and bridges and things like that, it was a pretty big deal. Yeah, absolutely. President Biden announced his support yesterday for a roughly $1 trillion infrastructure package that was negotiated with a group of bipartisan senators. Now, this package features $579 billion in new spending, with $312 billion going toward transportation and $266 billion dedicated to other types of infrastructure. Now, that is a lot less, as you alluded to, Brian, than Biden had initially proposed. And he did acknowledge yesterday that this was a compromise. But he said that give and take is the heart of democracy. We had a uh, really good meeting. And to answer your direct question, we have a deal. And uh, I think it's really important. We've all agreed that uh, none of us got what we all that we wanted. I clearly didn't get all I wanted. Now, the biggest sticking point in these negotiations was how to pay for it all. And the group agreed to a combination of measures, including reducing the tax gap, rooting out fraud and unemployment insurance, repurposing COVID funds and economic growth. This is important. We've agreed on the price tag, the scope, and how to pay for it. It was not easy to get agreement on all three, but it was essential. But Biden also encouraged Democrats to keep moving on a fast track package that would boost what he calls human capital 
without Republican support. Brian, he expects that to land on his desk as well by the end of the fiscal year. Back over to you. All right. No, no, no. We're not done yet. Let's talk about how to pay for this. We heard the president say that nobody making under $400,000 a year would have to pay for this, which I kind of tweeted out tongue in cheek about it because I find these income caps a little bit odd. Number one, it's, it's a minuscule percentage of the population. That said, if you make $450,000 a year in D.C., a couple of lawyers, lobbyists, whatever, they're going to kick in some money. If you make $350,000 in a place like Houston or Dallas, you're not apparently going to pay anything, probably despite owning you know, six Chevy Tahoes and driving 100,000 miles a year. Any indication of how they come up with these numbers on exactly, because it seems like that's going to penalize the blue states where incomes tend to be higher by having these sort of random income limits for those who get taxed to pay for this stuff. Yeah, so there's two things to keep in mind here, Brian. First is that for this bipartisan deal, they're really working with sort of found money, right? Closing the tax gap, just ensuring that people who already owe taxes pay the bill that they are already receiving. Um, Unemployment fraud, you know, making sure that people aren't falsely claiming unemployment insurance benefits, which is something that Republicans have called for. So for the bipartisan deal, they are really working with an existing sort of pot of cash. However, your point is well taken because that is going to be moving alongside this reconciliation package. And that's where you could see potentially corporate tax hikes, hikes on uh, the top uh, income brackets, people with the 39, moving the top rate to 39.8%, 39.6%. So that's where you could really see some of those tax increases come because Republicans were adamant that they weren't going to include any of that in a bipartisan deal. So Democrats are going to have to sort of shift that over to the other portion of this package. And there's no way that these are going to get through unless they both get through at the same time. Yeah, well, of course, unemployment claims collapsed when certain states started doing more checks on who is filing, but you got a family of two, you know, making 450 on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Probably doesn't even own a car. Is think, wait, we're we're paying, but the family in Texas making three 350 in Texas is a lot more than 450 in Manhattan. But hey, that's the deal they struck. Well, Brian, I'll, Alon Moy, I'll tell you, you one much. thing that Democrats are considering is the cell tax. Well, they're going to have to do something because otherwise, Elon, when you start, everything they propose goes after the same group of people. About two and a half million filers. That's about the number who have incomes over 400,000. When you go and by the way, most of the people who make over 400,000 also make under a million. There's sort of this idea there's all these millionaires running around. There's really not. There's about two and a half million total filers. If you go through the spreadsheets in the IRS, which unfortunately I have, um, if everybody keeps getting taxed at the same rate, and you've got taxes, you know, zero tax rates in Nashville, Texas, Florida. It's going to be a lot easier for people to pack up their U-Haul and, and move. Elon Moy, thank you very much. All right, well, outside of that, the results of the bank's stress tests are in, and all 23 banks have passed with flying colors. And now investors expect a flood of buybacks and dividends from the banks, as the Fed has lifted those pandemic restrictions. For more on what it means... Let's bring in Anton Schutz, president and CIO of Menden Capital Advisors. Anton, great to chat with you again. Stress tests, flying colors. Are you expecting a big wave of buybacks? Yes. (laughs) Good morning. Um, You know, you expect uh, to see these numbers on Monday afternoon after the close. 
some banks may not disclose the full numbers. I think they'll some will take a more moderate approach. Some of them have come out with really giant numbers uh, in terms of excess capital, uh, banks like Capital One. And uh, the tests were a little harder on, on Citibank and Wells Fargo, but both banks still have mountains of excess capital and will be able to return a lot of money to shareholders. The industry is very healthy net-net. Well, the markets have been indicating that. You look at the KBE and some of the smaller and mid-cap bank indexes and stocks that you own and track so well, Anton, uh, the market seems to be flying a lot of green flags, whatever the reason. Well, they overdid it last last year when people were afraid of credit. Um, and the bank set aside uh, tremendous amounts of reserves for what didn't happen. And I, and I give the, uh, you know, the Treasury and the Fed administration a lot of credit for, uh, you know, putting all these stimulus programs in place, keeping small businesses going well. So all that credit fear and angst, you know, just out of the way now. And banks have, you know, far too much capital. Yeah, it certainly is. And we're seeing some some gains in the pre-market for some of these financials, Anton. Uh, outside of the stress test, talk to us about some of the banks. You've been on the show the last number of years. You re- every bank you recommend, by the way, seems to get bought eventually down the road. Uh, you're really good at analyzing the balance sheets and the income statements of these banks. How are your bank stocks doing? How are banks in general doing as we come out of the pandemic with a booming economy and effectively free money? Well, the banks are really well set up for the booming economy. Uh, you know, again, a lot of these stimulus programs put a lot of cash in people's pockets, including businesses and consumers, and so the banks are flush with deposits. And most bank balance sheets have around 25% of, you know, uh, cash and securities, so they're ready to lend. So as, as demand uh, for loans increases, as people pay down uh, they, all their uh, uh, obligations and the cash balances decline, the banks are going to benefit. You know, margins will eventually increase. There's not a bank CEO I talked to doesn't expect inflation. And I think, uh, you know, the Fed will be raising rates in 22, not 23. Uh, so we'll have a steeper yield curve, we'll have increased rates and uh, increased loan growth. And you mentioned earlier the states that have the low tax rates. Those banks are seeing the best, you know, financial conditions. They're seeing plenty of infrastructure, plenty of loan growth. You mentioned Tennessee, Florida, Texas. They're doing really well. The Southeast is doing really well. People love that, you know, that better weather. Um, you know, obviously the lockdown caused a lot of people to rethink where they live, period. And being able to be outside year-round yeah. or close to it, I think is really important. Those banks are really booming. Every guest we talk to mentions the Southeast, Florida, Texas, Georgia, the same states, all booming down there. Anton Schutz of Mending Capital Advisors. Anton, thanks for calling in on a big topic there. We appreciate it, my friend. Have a great weekend. All right, coming up, an historic heat wave hitting some parts of America this weekend. NBC meteorologist Bill Karens will join us with the details. It could be 115 degrees in parts of Washington state. Dangerous. And the details ahead, Dow futures up 116. All right, welcome back. Now to a developing story this morning and one that is likely to be your top national story next week. And that is an historic heat wave coming out west. It could be 115 degrees in Spokane, Washington on Monday and 110 in Seattle, putting a dangerous strain on the energy grid and risking lives. NBC meteorologist Bill Karen's joining us now. Bill, look at some of these forecasts out Fresno, California, Portland, Oregon, Spokane. It is absolutely stunning. 
Yeah, and Brian, uh, it, it will be deadly. Uh, one thing that people don't realize is that heat typically kills more people in this country than tornadoes and hurricanes. Uh, flash flooding is second for a number of fatalities, and we have, we're dealing with both of those right now. So this historic heat wave is mostly going to be focused in the Pacific Northwest, and the biggest concern is people that don't have air conditioning. Only 30% of people in Seattle have air conditioning, and it could easily be near 100 degrees for two straight days. So just picture living through that and what that's going to be like. 22 million people at risk. The heat wave begins today, so today's kind of like the warm-up act. 93 in Portland, 87 in Seattle. Those temperatures themselves would be a very hot day, but nothing compared to what we're going to deal with this weekend. Saturday will break a lot of the daily record highs. You know, we're getting up there in Spokane near 100, Seattle 96. Look at Portland, up to 104 degrees. But it's on Sunday and Monday. Those will be the two peak days for the heat wave. Seattle should be about 102, Portland 108. Those are ridiculous temperatures. There's a lot of people living in those areas that have never seen it that hot before. So in Seattle... If we're going to beat the all-time record high, which is 103 degrees in 2009, we'll have likely either Sunday or Monday is the best shot at that. And as far as Portland goes, um, it looks to be Sunday will be their hottest day. The hottest it's ever been recorded in Portland is 107. So in other words, there's no one alive that's experienced 108 degrees in Portland before, and you have a chance to do that on Sunday. And it's bookmarked, by the way, by two 104-degree days. And about 70% of the people in Portland have air conditioning. That still leaves about 30% that we're very concerned about, especially the elderly. And the other story that's going to be going on this weekend, extremely heavy rain. We already have a large chunk of Missouri under flash flood warnings. We're going to see multiple rounds of very heavy rain. Chicago could get into the mix of this later today and tonight and tomorrow. Even Detroit, up to five inches of rain is possible. So, Brian, you have to feel a little guilty on the northeast and and the east coast. It is so gorgeous and perfect. But, uh, yeah, the northwest is is going to be crazy. And and I saw a little graphic there, Bill, from you. It's not just the one-day record because we have hit these numbers for one day. It's that this is going to last – For three or four days, this is going to put a dangerous strain on the energy grid as well. And there's a high fire risk and serious drought out there. That's right. And um, the statistics show us that heat waves are more deadly the longer they go. People trying to last through these heat waves without air conditioning for four to five days, a lot of the elderly, it gets very dangerous. Yeah, very serious. Could last up to four days, 30% with air conditioning. Wow, dangerous out there. Bill Karen's. Appreciate you coming on on a big, big story. All right, on deck. Remember all those people saying that big tech investing was dead? Well, think again, because your RBI is up next, and it's the six stocks that have doubled or more in the past year. Do you think you know the names? Uh, You might guess a few. And a reminder, June is Pride Month. Here is Human Rights Campaign President Alfonso David. I have a message for the young LGBTQ person living in a state that recently passed anti-LGBTQ legislation. Don't forget your capacity. Don't forget that you have value. And don't forget that you have a community that is here to support you through everything. Your LGBTQ identity is a strength, not a weakness. Don't ever forget that. Time now for your morning RBI. Today's most random but interesting thing has to do with technology stocks. Big recent run because rumors of big tech's demise have been, as they say, greatly exaggerated. Because 
there are six, one, two, three, yeah, six stocks that have really outperformed, doubling or more over the past year. You think you know who they are? You might guess a few, but here they are. Lamb Research, semiconductors, talk a lot about these shortages up 103%. Peloton, worker play from home dead, not according to Peloton investors. That stock quietly surging up 110% in 12 months. Applied Materials, another tech name, up 130%. Align Tech, Align Tech, up 140%. But now to the plus 200% club, Tesla, up 245% in a year. You know it's been hot, but did you know it was that hot? Congrats to Elon Musk and company. That is no match for the single best performing NASDAQ 100 stock over the past year. And that name is Moderna, up 255%. Imagine that. Develop a life-saving vaccine, get rewarded by shareholders. Seems important, random, and hopefully interesting. There's your six doubling stocks over the past year. Joining us now is Kerry Firestone, Aureus Asset Management Chairman and CEO, also a CNBC contributor. Uh, Kerry, I listen to you all the time on Halftime. Did you just put all your clients' money into uh, Moderna and Tesla and let it ride, and now you're going to sail away on your giant solid gold yacht? Uh, Well, I might like to sail away, but we didn't put all of the money, although we do own some names that have been up incredibly strongly, and we own Peloton. So I I think that's a great list, and I'm glad you brought it up. Are you surprised that, that Peloton has continued to do so well? The gyms are reopening, but I guess if you bought a bike and you're paying the, what, 39 or 49 bucks a month, you're not going back to the gym because you're already kicking the money in for something else. Well, I think Peloton obviously benefited from COVID and people staying in, need to exercise, no gyms. But there's a huge market out there for people who either didn't belong to a gym or aren't going back to their gym. And I think that technology is fantastic. They have, I think it's a very, very long runway. And that stock can be earning, you know, three or four dollars a share in a few years. It's 120. The stock, you know, had a uh, sort of little die that went from 160 to 100. Uh, we, we bought stock there. Then it came back. It went down to the low 80s where we added to it again. And now it's 122. And precisely because this can roll out as a platform company, it's not just bike. It's, you know, any kind of exercise, stretching, meditation, yoga, running, running outside. And they're the leader in the field. And we think that field is going to be enormous. And they've got that mode a little bit and that subscription model as well. All right, let's move on past tech, Kerry. I want to talk about two things near and dear to your investing heart, and that is trash and paint, waste management and (laughs) Sherwin-Williams. What a pair. Exactly. Yeah, so Sherwin-Williams um, has been a, a very good stock. And, of course, housing is big, and people spent a lot of last year remodeling their house or buying a new house and fixing that up. And their inflation protection. So they were able to raise price 7% recently, passing on the costs of raw materials. And paint is not a big factor when you, you talk about the entire cost of a house or renovating a house. Same with waste connection. I mean, it's not as if you need them for renovation, but you, you do have contracts with municipality. Waste connection serves smaller cities, not the very largest, and half of their contracts have 
inflation connected links. So they're able to raise prices if they see inflation. It's a utility like return, very strong, and we like the stock here. Sherwin Williams, Waste Management and Peloton. Now that is a trifecta of names. Carrie Firestone of Aureus, real pleasure to have you on. Have a great Friday and a great weekend. We'll see you soon, Carrie. You too. Thank you, Brian. You're very welcome. And with that, we're done on Worldwide Exchange. Thanks for joining us. Been a heck of a week. Stocks having a big run. Squawk and the gang will pick up the coverage. I am off on Monday. I will see you back on Tuesday. By the way, if you're out west, Try to stay cool. It's going to be dangerous out there, my friends. We'll see you next week. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.